hello everyone and welcome uh, to worship today. I received a wonderful letter uh, last week and from um, one who's a member of our church family and uh, he gave me his permission to share this with you. The letter re- reads, Pastor Rex, I've been very moved to let you know how thankful I am for you and the staff of grace. I'm thankful that you follow the leading of God to discuss the revelation. As a lifelong churchgoer, I can say that in all my 29 years, I cannot recall hearing such an in-depth look at a book that, in all honesty, has always terrified me. I've been saved since I was seven. However, I'm a very literal person, and things that are unknown to me or abstract to me, like this book, tend to, in his words, freak me out. When I first heard that you were going to be discussing the Revelation, I was incredibly nervous, yet incredibly drawn to be present at all teachings. I am so thankful. This study has moved me along in my relationship with Christ and has cleared a lot of the confusion and abstract wondering that has always brought me so much fear about this book. Thank you. May God bless you richly for your faithfulness to him and for treading on ground that so many hesitate to walk on. Thank you sincerely. And it's signed, Kendall Hill. Now, I share that letter with Kendall's permission because it's sort of typical of the letters, emails, comments that I've received during this series. Uh, Many people have told me this series has made me hungry to read more. I'm no longer intimidated by the revelation, but rather I'm inspired by it. I've heard that over and over and over, and that makes me happy because that's what we prayed God would do. This tour bus through Revelation has been been moving very fast, but today our journey comes to an end as we look at the last two chapters in the Revelation, 21 and 22, which of course are all about heaven. Now, for those of you who may not have a background in the Bible or perhaps in uh, Christianity, I would want you to be aware that the Bible tells us this life is not all there is. That we're going to live 99.9999999999% of our lives somewhere else. And at the end of this life, there is a judgment by God Almighty, perfect, the perfect judge who will administer perfect justice. And all of us will be assigned to one of two places, heaven or hell. And that destiny hinges really upon our choice. It's not, uh, it's not something we can opt out of. We can't say, I think I'll sit this one out, or I'll take a mulligan on this one. No sitting on the fence. Choice and not chance will determine our eternal destination. And the big question, of course, that drives it all is what have you done with Jesus Christ and and his offer of salvation. That's the determinative question behind it all. Now, what, what I've just shared with you, listen, that, that's just basic Christianity. That's Christianity 101. And, and those who've read God's word over and over again, they know that. But, but I feel I need to start with that because that's what makes today's message 
incredibly important. There's nothing more important that any of us ever grapple with than what will I do with Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation because we're all going to live somewhere forever. Now, I don't know exactly why, but I have not heard many sermons on heaven throughout my life, not many at all. I heard about one preacher who was all excited. He was preaching to his congregation on the bliss of heaven and the joys we will experience there. And in his excitement, he said, I'd just like to see a show of hands. How many of you want to go to heaven? And of course, everybody in the congregation lifted their hands except one little eight-year-old boy on the front row. The pastor was so struck by that, he said, son, don't you want to go to heaven? The kid said, well, sure, when I die, I thought you were trying to get a busload to go right now. (laughs) And we're kind of like that. You know, we talk a pretty good game about heaven. We do get excited occasionally when we think about it. But we still have these lingering doubts, don't we? About this awesome transition called death. What will it be like? And many people, I've discovered, even though they are people of faith, they still fear that awesome giant called death. That's why it's been my prayer that today's message, God will use it to bring some clarity, to cut through the clutter, and get rid of some of the confusion about heaven. Revelation 13 tells us an interesting fact. It tells us that one of Satan's favorite things to lie about, he's the father of lies, that's his native language, lying. And you know one of his favorite things to lie about is, is heaven? Revelation 13, 6 reads, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Our enemy delights in slandering God's person, God's people, and God's place. And that place is heaven. So today, let's see if God's word can clear up some of the confusion. And let's see what we can learn about what it's like. And I think the more we learn, the more we'll long uh, to be there. The first thing I want you to consider is that heaven is a place. Now, the reason I begin with such an obvious statement is that many people believe, that I've talked to at least, believe that heaven is kind of a state of mind. You know, Billy Joel saying, I'm in a New York state of mind. And some people think heaven's like that. You know, when you're kind of bummed about life and you need to escape from the stress, you kind of go to this imaginary land of goodness, heaven. Others picture shadows and fog and clouds where everyone sort of floats around for eternity, strumming a harp, but there's no real substance to it. Those are the popular views. But the biblical view is very different. It's not an imaginative state of mind. It's a literal place. Last week, I shared with you a passage, uh, John 14, where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for, for you. Heaven's a place. And today we read in Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw 
the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as, dressed as a bride, uh, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now I want you to consider a couple of key aspects about this place called heaven that we're talking about today. First of all, uh, this place will be a restoration project of sorts. Now, again, because the tour bus is moving fast, we don't have a lot of time to dig into the scholarly debate over whether it will be a totally new earth and a new heaven or whether it will be radically renovated. Different evangelical biblical traditions believe a little differently about that. But I think most of us love the concept of renovation. You know why I think that? Because we love shows about renovation, don't we? Some years ago, it was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Today's shows are popular like Rehab Addict, Fixer Upper, Property Brothers, and many other. You know the theme. You take an old, run-down, shabby-looking place, and you renovate it, and wow, whoa. You can hardly believe your eyes when it's done. Do you know the Bible speaks about that kind of renovation? Acts 3.21 says God will restore everything. Matthew 19.28, there will be a renewal, a restoration of all things. And, And so many solid biblical scholars believe heaven will be similar to that. It'll be sort of like the original Garden of Eden, if you will, but not exactly. In fact, just to demonstrate the amazing parallels, I had our team put in your bulletin today a chart showing a comparison between the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation. Let's look at a few of those together. You notice here, the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Let's just quickly go through some. Uh, the darkness he called night. There shall be no night. You see the first three chapters versus the last three. It goes on to say, God made two great lights, sun and moon. The city had no need of the sun or the moon. Let's go on. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There shall be no more death. So death was introduced into the human experience. Now there will be no more death. Satan appears as deceiver in the first three. Satan disappears forever. Shown a garden into which defilement, shown a city into which defilement will never enter. The comparisons keep on going. The walk of God with people is interrupted. Here it is resumed. Over here we see there's initial triumph of the serpent. Over here is his ultimate banishment and the triumph of the lamb. Over here, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. There shall be no more death, sorrow, crying, no more pain. You see the parallels and how dramatic they are? We go on with just a few more. Cursed is the ground. There shall be no more curse. Over here, we see man's dominion is broken in the fall. Here, man's dominion is restored. Over here, we see first paradise is closed. Now, paradise has been reopened or regained. Access to the tree of life disinherited. Access to the tree of life you read in chapter 22, is open again. 
in this amazing place called heaven. They were driven from God's presence, and they shall see his face. Those are just some of the comparisons between the way the garden was initially and the way this new heaven will be. Now, i got a question for you. After just seeing some of those comparisons, here's my question. Do you really believe all of that just happened by accident? Or do you believe that God's whole redemption plan is to ultimately restore what was lost when sin entered the garden? Paradise was lost, but God's whole redemptive plan is about paradise being regained. Revelation 21, we just read, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the word new here means new in quality. It's not as though it never existed. If you've had your kitchen renovated, you may say to a friend, hey, come over and see my new kitchen. Well, that's cool, but it's not really new. I mean, you had a kitchen before. It's just been dramatically restored, and it's better than ever. And many scholars believe that's what God is talking about here with the new heaven and new earth. Second, it will be an actual city. Numerous times in the New Testament, heaven is described as a city, a city called the New Jerusalem. You see that, by the way, in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. You see it in Revelation 13 and in chapter 21, the passage we just read. Now, even though this is a good amount of Scripture, I want you to look with me at verses 9 through 27 of Revelation 21, and let's just see some of the amazing details it gives us about this new Jerusalem, this this city that is a part of heaven. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city. Here it is again, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. By the way, the word jasper, most scholars will say, is another word for diamond, really. Another word for diamonds. Had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. Now, notice the amazing detail that's giving here. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall. And it was 144 cubits by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure 
as glass. The foundations, here's an interesting part, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Catch that. Each gate made of a single pearl. Unbelievable. One commentator pointed out, the pearl is the only precious jewel that is created through suffering. And there may be some some symbolic significance there that God's people, and certainly the first people who received this letter, were going through immense suffering. And Acts declares that it's through suffering that we enter the kingdom of God. Perhaps there's some symbolic significance there the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass but notice what he goes on to say i did not see a temple in the city for the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on for the glory of god gives it light and the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it on no day will its gates ever be shut I like this part, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What an incredible description. 12,000 stadia in length. How far is that? How big is that? It's roughly 1,500 miles. We're talking a city here that would stretch from Canada to Mexico, from Tennessee to California, and that's just the city. You say, but pastor, is this symbolic or liberal? I'm uh, liberal, literal. I'm so glad you asked. Well, I will assure you that sometimes, as we have seen, you have to interpret the revelation symbolically, or it makes utterly no, no sense at all. But at other times, I will assure you, it is definitely literal. So there's your answer. I'm so glad I could clear that up for you. That, that's my job, okay? I'm just glad I could help with that. God bless you. But there's the challenge of Bible interpretation. What is to be taken literally? What is symbolic or figurative? That's what makes interpretation so challenging at times. But I believe, I believe that we have good reason to take this literally. He says the dimensions are according to man's measurements. That certainly at least implies that this is not some figurative number, but it can be taken literally. Now, some of you are bumming right now, big time. Because you go, Pastor, I don't like cities. Well, there's good news for you. No problem. That's why Revelation says you can go in and out of the city. There's territory to explore. There are three gates on each side for coming and going. So please realize heaven is not some metaphysical uh, area, some mystical thing exempt of floors and ceilings and dominated by clouds. It's a real place. It truly 
exist. But second, I want you to also notice that heaven is a transforming place. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Heaven is all about transformation, and much of that transformation is spiritual. I'm I'm sure glad about that. You know, I'm sure glad that God, as I like to say, is changing us from the inside out. Aren't you happy about that? I mean, that's good news, folks. He justified us, saved us from the wrath that our sins demanded, the punishment. He's sanctifying us right now. He's saving us from the power of our sin. And one day, we will be glorified in heaven with a new body, where we'll literally be saved from the presence of sin in our lives. Imagine a place like that. Down here we sing prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And that's our human experience. Remember how close you get to Christ. You're always going to be tempted to wander and drift. But in heaven, there'll be no more drift from God. No more inclination to rebel or sin. Not even a temptation to sin. What an incredible place. But, you know, I'm particularly blessed by the biblical teaching that our bodies will be transformed. Doesn't that appeal to you? Yes, we'll be recognizable. Our bodies will be recognized by people who knew us here, but we will be utterly transformed with our glorified bodies. I don't know about you. The older I get, the more I get excited about a glorified body. Hallelujah. Because the older I get, the more I want to change about my body. Instant bodily transformation is something we just look forward to. An old country farmer, along with his wife and son, ventured to the city for the first time. He parked the car outside of a huge building, and the farmer's wife stayed in the car while he and his son went inside. They wanted to see one of these big city newspapers they had heard so much about. Never had seen one before. And when the farmer and his son went inside this big building, they saw these two silver-looking metal doors that would go in and out like that. He'd never seen anything like that. They were mesmerized by these shiny silver walls. The boy said to his father, Paul, Paul, what is that? The farmer said, son, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I have no idea what that is. While the boy and his father were watching wide-eyed, these two metal doors, an elderly lady limping, kind of barely walking along with a cane, came and pushed a button, and the two doors went apart. She stepped between them into a little room, and then the two doors closed, and they watched mesmerized as these lights flashed above. And then as they continued to watch, they watched the lights flash and the silver doors open again, and out walked a gorgeous 24-year-old young woman, and she winked at them as she sauntered past. And the farmer looked at his boy and said, boy, go get your mama.
instant transformation. The, the Bible says in a twinkling of an eye, that's a lot faster than an elevator. Now, you know, we shouldn't struggle with this idea because we live in a culture where there's Botox and liposuction and LASIK and plastic surgery and steroids. And when we get to heaven, folks, there's going to be this physical transformation that will be very much like what Christ's body went through after his resurrection. You remember? Uh, there was like a double take sometimes. People who knew him, it would take a moment because everything, there had been this transformation. There was a similarity, but the body had been made perfect. And the scripture says, Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. Our bodies are going to be radically different. I like what Paul says in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to what it says. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's an actual place. It's a transforming place. But finally today, I want you to see that heaven is a thrilling place. Please, please, please. I hope you're listening now to my heart. Don't buy into the silly paradox or stereotype rather that heaven is a boring place. That's the stereotype. How could it ever be boring when the one who created this earth, the one who made every animal, every mountain, the one who makes rainbows, the father of creativity will be there? And he's anticipating your arrival. How can it possibly, possibly be boring. It'll be fresh and exhilarating. Everything that is good here, listen, everything that is good here will be perfect there. And everything that is bad here will be absent there. Paul writes, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived what God has prepared for those who love. And that gets me pumped up. I kind of like surprises and heaven is going to be beyond our wildest imagination. Paul writes, I'm torn between the two. I de- desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Think of that. Heaven will be better by far. One thing that's going to be better in heaven is the food. I'm kind of excited about that. I like to eat. There's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb. I just am pretty stoked about the fact that we're going to eat in heaven. I really am. And everything's going to be fat free. Did you know that? Can I tell you what is so messed up about this earth? Let me tell you what's messed up. Just about everything that tastes good is bad for you. And everything that just is bad tasting, pretty nutritious. That's because of sin, y'all. That's because of sin right there. Up in heaven, that's all going to be changed the way it ought to be. 
You're eating your Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You're saying, just getting my vitamins. That's all. <laughs> You're munching on some great pizza. You go, it's just like a kale salad, man. It's fantastic for you. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most about heaven. Heaven's also going to be a place of perfect health. John says here in chapter 21 that there will be no sickness or pain. It's better by far. And by the way, for some of you, that's just all you need to hear. And I get it. Because the truth is, for many of you listening right now, sickness and pain dominate your existence day by day. Illness and infirmity, to one degree or another, just dominates your life. And you can only imagine, you can only imagine a place in a day when your mind is clear and your body is strong and there's no more pain. But that's what we read about heaven. So foreign to us. Our lives here, all we know is medication and sickness and pain. Paul says that's why we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporal. What is not seen is eternal. And so John goes on and on trying to describe this place. And then it's almost like he says... (laughs) I'm just trying to get inside of his skin as God is inspiring him and he's using his own mind, but God is overriding his own reason and knowledge. And and it's almost like John says, let's go down a different road. I could never describe all the awesome things about heaven, so let me describe what's not there. And so in chapter 21, verse 4, we read, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So John says, look, let me me just take a moment and tell you what won't be there. In heaven, there will be no more grief. No more dire emergencies. No more tear-stained divorce papers. No more rejection. No more sadness. No more cancer. No more loneliness. In heaven, there will be no more band-aids. No more tissue boxes. No more casts. No more crutches. No more wheelchairs. No more pacemakers. No more radiation. No more chemotherapy. In heaven, there will be no more multiple sclerosis. No more bloated stomachs, no more rape, no more suicide bombers, no more school shootings, no more massacres, no more metal detectors, no more guilt, no more persecution, no more x-rays, no more MRIs, no more middle-of-the-night phone calls, no more little crosses on the side of the road. In heaven, there will be no more miscarriages. No more child abuse, no more violence, no more breakups, no more tornado sirens, no more typhoons, no more hurricane warnings, no more earthquakes, no more tsunamis, no more coughs or colds, no more flu shots, no more acne, no more love handles, no more saddlebags, no more cottage cheese thighs, hallelujah, no more double chins, praise the Lord, no more bad breath, no more body odor. No more deodorant, 
No more deodorant stains. No more shaving, plucking, or waxing. No more depression. No more Rogaine. No more socks without a match. Hallelujah. In heaven, there will be no more stubbed toes. No more fighting. No more bullying. No more anxiety medication. No more traffic. No more road rage. No more road kill. No more racism. No more addiction. No more drama. No more imbalanced hormones. No more crash diets. No more spanks. Some of the men don't know what those are. No more gossip, no more legalism, no more pretending, no more injustice, no more infidelity, no more insecurity, no more infomercials, no more inoperable tumors, no more security systems. We don't need them. No more amber alerts, no more embarrassing moments, no more sleepless nights, no more concussions, no more autism, no more sensory issues, no more bipolar disorder, no more child protective services, no more doctors, no more needles, no more taxes, no more bills, no more bill collectors, no more mechanics, no more dentists, no more lawyers, no more preachers. No more plastic surgeons, no more politicians, no more elections, no more funeral homes, no more nursing homes, no more orphanages, no more waiting rooms, no more animal hospitals, no more treatment centers, no more courtrooms, no more broken homes, no more slums, no more pink slips, no more foreclosure notices, no more motionless ultrasounds, no more tiny little caskets. No more death, no more loneliness, no more crying, no more pain. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Can we just thank God for all he is making new? I'm making it all new, he said. It's all going to be new. And one of the reasons we can get excited about heaven is because of what is not going to be there. That's why Paul said, It is better by far. But if you're suffering today, you ask the Lord, but how long to all that? Jesus' word to you in chapter 22 is, I'm coming soon. And then he closes it out by saying this, He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Then John adds his, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. In his series called The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis paints a beautiful picture of heaven in the final book called The Last Battle. The book begins with this near collision of a railroad train where the children in the book are thrust into Narnia. And if you've read that, you know that Narnia stands, it's the place that stands for heaven. But when their adventure is over, the children are afraid that they're going to be sent back to the earth again. And having, ex- having experienced the joys and wonders of Narnia, that, the thought of going back is just unbearable. 
But then Aslan, the Christ figure in the story, shares with them the good news. And as C.S. Lewis writes it, let me quote now. Aslan says to the children, quote, there was a real railroad accident and you did die. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What will heaven be like? Every chapter better than the one before. And I don't know if God will give you 50 more years or five more minutes, but I do know this. He wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be ready. How do you get ready? You don't get ready through religious performance. You don't get ready by jumping through Hoops. We don't get ready by being good enough and keeping a lot of religious rules. Getting ready is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And if you've not done that, now is your moment. I invite you to open your life to Jesus Christ. It's the only way to get ready. I'm going to pray a prayer with you now and invite you to accept him, to invite him into your life, to receive his forgiveness, and to be ready for this place, which is better by far. Are you ready to pray? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you are ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this prayer silently right where you are. Oh God, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you that you've created heaven, a place better by far. Please forgive me. Please adopt me into your family. And Lord, begin to change me from the inside out. I want to be ready for judgment day. I want my destiny to be heaven with you forever. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for those who've opened their lives to you. You've brought them along this journey. You've prepared them for this moment. And now you've saved them and invited them and adopted them into your family. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. And thank you that we can celebrate it forever with you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Will the ushers, will the ushers please come forward as we continue to worship through our tithes and offerings. And Pastor Rex, thank you for that powerful message that you shared with us this evening.